Lazart and Matthew Klippenstein are back again for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, Clean Technica's weekly podcast about the hottest news and most interesting stories in the clean tech field, focused especially on electric vehicles and solar energy. Check in weekly via cleantechnica.com, SoundCloud, or iTunes to get your electric fix. All right, welcome again, uh, listeners. Um... Another episode of uh, Clean Tech Talk heading your way with Matthew Kupenstein and Nicholas Zart. Welcome. We've got a couple of cool stories today. And I uh, thought that perhaps, uh, Nicholas, it might be uh, uh, interesting to start here with, the, uh, with Canada, my home country, joining the Coal Phase-Out Club. Uh, there was an announcement uh, in, the, uh, in the past week that uh, the federal government plans to phase out coal, aiming for its elimination by 2030. This is uh, uh, very heartening after a number of years as a uh, climate change dinosaur, as it were. It is a little bit easier for Canada to do than for other countries uh, because only about 15% of our electricity is uh, generated with coal. It's not like the States, for example, where I think it's still a little bit above one-third of the electricity being coal-based. Uh, but not only that, we have about 60, 60 to 65-ish percent of our electricity comes from uh, deep uh, reservoir hydroelectric dams and sure they have a small footprint there's not much methane or they, they have an environmental footprint rather uh, not that much of a greenhouse gas imprint because uh, these are in temperate zones so we don't get all that much uh, methane coming out unlike in tropical uh, hydroelectric reservoirs but hydro is very cool because it it can be almost infinitely dispatched. You can scale it right up, you can stick, scale it right back, which means a lot of possibility to incorporate renewables. And as we mentioned in an earlier episode, a lot of possibility to help balance out renewables in the States with enough interconnections. Um, so yeah, uh, Nicholas? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a, those are really impressive numbers, 16%. Uh, considering you're right, we're in the US, we're about at, uh, at, at one third still, which is Great, because I think in 2008, it was, it was closer to 66%, two-thirds. So, so I think we're doing much, much better. Of course, we've got, <laughs> we got a lot of room for improvement. But 16%, that's extremely good. And like you say, um, uh, river um, hydro and, and, and uh, dam hydro is, is fantastic. It's extremely flexible. You can shut the electricity easily, and it's always there. You know, I, the more I think about it, the more I think hydro is amazing especially wave technology, um, you know, the buoys going up and down. It, it's just fantastic. It's always there. Unless we start uh, cooking the planet and evaporating all the water, it's just something that always works, right? Right. Yeah. So uh, I think just uh, to slightly uh, amend that, I think coal was on the order of 50% in the States in the, in the recent decades until its, its recent fall off, not necessarily 60%. But well, you are entirely correct. Uh, with, uh, so I guess, adding natural gas, then you are at about two-thirds, maybe 70% even. That's right, um, yes. yes. With CNG, it was up to 60 Yes, you're right, absolutely. But coal was, yes, yeah, slightly above. It was 51 55% or something like that, up until 2006, 2008. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then uh, you basically see this, uh, this wonderful transition, you know, partly to natural gas, but also partly to, uh, to wind and, in a growing manner, solar. So very cool. Uh, efficiency also plays a role. Uh, I've got uh, in front of me, uh, I'll, I'll provide the link, a little chart of electricity demand in Canada. And uh, we've dropped oh, a fair amount, uh, several percent since 2008. So you have this wonderful effect where um, 
you have uh, less electricity demand due to a higher appreciation of electricity of, of energy efficiency, as well as um, renewables coming online. So you can kind of squeeze the old uh, combustion thermal generators uh, out. Very cool. You know, that's a, that's also another thing that we rarely talk about is is the white elephant in the room is okay. Well, that's all great switching over from fossil fuel to um, to uh, renewable energy, but. Uh, isn't that going to make uh, the, the electricity demand spike? And so far, you're right. Uh, we're seeing less and less demand. And, and it's the same thing, by the way, for fossil fuels and petroleum, which is pretty amazing. So, so far, I was really afraid 10 years ago, boy, those uh, utilities are just going to rip us out as soon as they see that we're switching over. But so far, it seems that people are maybe using less and less energy. And I don't know if it's just... Uh, Maybe it's just my filters, but I seem to see that more and more um, throughout the world, at least throughout the you know Europe and and northern uh, America's states countries. <laughs> I'm sure there would be a multiplicity of reasons for that, uh, if for no other reason that it really does make business sense. And perhaps we hit a tipping point uh, in the past a decade where there was an appreciation that hey, you know, it is truly cheaper to invest in efficiency than into uh, into added supply. Uh, one interesting little story that I'll link to in the notes uh, relates to, uh, I think, what is North America's first energy efficiency utility, a little company called Efficiency One out of uh, Nova Scotia. And their actual role is to uh, reduce energy consumption on the part of Nova Scotians. And that's how they get compensated by the uh, the other utility, I guess the utility and or grid operator. And that's interesting in some part because Nova Scotia is one of the three provinces which still uses uh, a fair amount of coal in its electricity grid. Alberta and Saskatchewan, two big uh, fossil fuel producers, are the others. And Nova Scotia negotiated an arrangement with the federal government in Canada so that it could still keep its coal facility online for, say, the winter peak in heating uh, in the United States. One typically gets a summer peak in, uh, in electricity use, rather, because of air conditioning. In Canada, it's for heating. So we get our, our peak in the winter. And uh, what the federal government agreed to with Nova Scotia was that uh, as long as Nova Scotia found emissions reductions elsewhere, such as through efficiency, then it could keep this uh, coal plant as a backup in, you know, for the cases in the dead of winter where they might need extra uh, power just for you know, the duration of a storm, that kind of a thing. So it is a it is a very uh, it is a very well thought out I hope and resourceful way of attempting to get rid of the emissions of coal while still allowing for the fact that yes perhaps there could be cases in very limited cases where uh, one needs to take advantage of existing infrastructure but at the same time ensuring that the equivalent emissions reductions take place which is again a very very big positive thing. And you're right. I think that's pretty much what we all want. We don't, I mean, I personally, I don't care about extremes. It's, I don't think it's very feasible at any point, or at least not now, but we need to be smart about it. We need to manage it. And, and especially we need to be um, very efficient with our energy use. You know, when, when I went to, um, I talked to, I don't know if you know, Ed Care, he was uh, pretty big, at least on the West Coast with the early electrification, um, actually in the 90s. And he was working at, uh, at the time for Southern California Edison in, in um, Pomona, where they had their dream garage. 
And that was in, okay, so that was in 2008. And he said, you know, the next five years, we don't want to build anything. All we want to do is make sure that the extra 400,000 homes are going to be built almost every year. Uh, we can actually deliver the energy to them with what we have. So, so the accent was on efficiency. And it was nice to see um, all these companies thinking about that. No, I'm not saying that they actually did that. But yeah, at least it was what they were aiming for. And that's, uh, it's nice to see where we are today, considering <laughs> everything we've been through. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, one industry which would definitely not be uh, where uh, we would not be in five years where we are today would be the automotive uh, manufacturing industry for which you had uh, some interesting uh, topics to raise, uh, uh, Nicholas. Yeah. And, and, you know, of course, what, what goes really well with renewable energy is the mobility world, the mobility industry. And so um, Nissan, I, I really like Nissan because I, I think Gone has been really great. He's not over the top. He's not, you know, too quiet. He's just, he's just chugging away. And I think it's really great. The leaf is, is great. Today, I just saw, by the way, I'm still in France right now, and I talked to the post office. Um, they had, a, a, you know, the NV a two, a 200. Or is it 200 or 2,000? I'm dyslexic. Uh, 200, I think. Yeah, the 200, NV. right. And I was talking to the lady driving it, and so she, she's driven pretty much everything, and she said she loves it, absolutely loves it. So she showed me around. We went inside, and it was just really fantastic. And um, anyway, so, yeah, Nissan is a good company. But what Nissan just uh, did today is they're setting, selling 41% of their state uh, sorry, their stake in the Calsonic um, company that uh, that basically um, gives them all the the, the, the different um, uh, AC systems for gasoline cars and, and things like that. The uh, yeah, the standard components and all that kind of OEM stuff. And the fact that they're selling that, I think, is a very clear message that they are more and more looking for pure EV uh, um, uh, component makers. And that's that's actually really fantastic news, especially considering that. Um, we don't hear that much about Nissan right now, but once in a while, you always hear that one thing that actually really means something. I think it's it's a huge uh, it's a huge thing that they're doing here. I don't know how you're looking at that too. Yeah, I think it is a very big deal. Uh, maybe looking at it through a different lens. Uh, Carlos Ghosn is not uh, not Japanese, so he doesn't have the mentality or the philosophy of the. Uh, Keiretsu of companies, the cross-ownership affiliated uh, group of companies that, say, Toyota has. Uh, and he has been uh, you know, very open in cutting Nissan off from that and trying to ensure that competitive suppliers win for whatever the purchases are. Yeah. I think the, sorry, um, sorry, the, I think the even bigger story here is that uh, selling off their stake in this manufacture of, I'm sure there's some a number of components like air conditioning units that might still be required, but uh, a, an affiliated company that still has a lot of, it's not just got a foot in the uh, combustion world, it's probably got a leg, maybe a leg and a torso in that <laughs> world. And Raising that money would allow Nissan to drop a whole bunch of cash into further electric vehicle uh, development, which is an enormous positive. And you know, it's it's relatively unknown that uh, the Nissan Leaf is actually the world's best-selling electric vehicle. I know a number of people at Nissan are rather irritated that uh, Tesla gets all the attention, but hey, yeah, that's the way the world works sometimes. Uh, but certainly with a bolt, uh, a bolt with a B as in 
I don't know, brilliant uh, coming out. Uh, I'm sure that Nissan will want to make a big splash with its next generation Leaf. And I'm, uh, I'm very hopeful that they'll be able to, uh, uh, to leverage this sale and the money from that sale into ever better uh, electric propulsion products. You know, that, that, that's a good point because it also gives a chance to smaller companies, maybe newer companies that really focus on EVs and on EV-specific needs for ancillaries uh, uh, systems. So, no, it's all, it's all really positive news. And, I, and I, you know, if you, and you have to read Gon's story. Um, it, he was really stated to actually take over a huge part of Mercedes at the time. And he, and he didn't want to. And he rightfully so turned to Nissan and, and help that whole Renault and Nissan alliance. At the time, everybody thought he was crazy. And uh, I, I think all in all, he just, he was, he was really smart about it. And you're right, he is resilient. So he's coming in from a different culture. He, he spent most of his uh, time at La Sorbonne in France. Uh, no, sorry, uh, Ecole Polytechnique in France. So he really, really, he's an international guy. He really understands, he really gets it. Um, and also the point that you made about that, that he sort of broke Nissan away from the you know, traditional... I don't want to say all Japanese uh, uh, executives, but more or less. Um, that's another point that I heard. Speaking of uh, Matthias Müller, the CEO of Volkswagen, um, and um, I don't know if anybody's aware of it, but uh, Matthias does good things, and then sometimes he opens up his mouth, and it's amazing. You can see his whole foot slipping into it. Um, the latest is, uh, is the fact that um, he's actually saying that the German local market poo-poos EVs, and there's no demand. So, of course, we all reacted. We thought, well, that's not really the case, isn't it? I mean, we see um, a lot of um, i3s running around. I've actually, I'm in Nice right now, and I saw easily three i3s in, in three weeks, right? I'm not always outside, but, I mean, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good number. And, um, you know, they have small cars. It's not that difficult to do what... what Mitsubishi did with iMeve and and uh, and uh, and just you know slap on an electric battery pack, so it, it's really strange. And I'm, I, I, the more I think about it, the more I really wonder: is he the right CEO for Volkswagen? Because if you think about it, since last year, okay, so there was the scandal, which they kind of handled it pretty well. They were pretty straightforward with it, but everything after that was just pure marketing. You know, hey guys, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Okay, that's fine, and I'd like to hear that, but I'm much more interested in what are you delivering right now? And if you think about it, really, there's not that much. The e-Golf e is a great car, and so we've improved it a little bit. Well, yeah, and so is the i3, so is the Leaf. So they're sort of following with the trends, but they're spending much too much time, resources, and energy on, on marketing. So, again, saying something like that is just, it's just very, very strange. And I was in Germany, actually, last year, and... Yeah, maybe Germans are a little bit more, you know, they're cautious people, obviously, but I've never seen anywhere anybody saying that it wasn't worth it or it wasn't, uh, it wasn't something that they wanted to. So, I don't know, it was, I thought it was a very, uh, very weird thing for him to say again. And, and I really wonder, is he the right CEO for Volkswagen? I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I've learned uh, through personal experience not to offer opinions necessarily on the corporate leadership of companies. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, I can understand the frustration that electric vehicle advocates uh, sense with uh, automotive companies in that automotive uh, vehicle development takes many years. So if you decide today that, let's say, 100% of all your future cars are going to be electric vehicles, 
the first of the cars that you're going to put out is going to come out in maybe five to six years' time. It's just that's how long it takes to properly develop a vehicle. And the problem is that let's say it takes a five-year cycle and um, you're going to have cars that come out next year and the year after that and the year after that and the year after that, which have already been in development and you can't, it's, it's very difficult to change path. So if it takes five years to make a new vehicle and you refresh your lineup every, every five years for every vehicle, then that means switching over your entire fleet will take you uh, five years for the first wave of electric vehicles to come out and nine years for the last wave of electric vehicles to come out. And during that time, you are very open to valid criticism that you're just, you're all talk. You're not really doing all that much. Even if behind the scenes, you are directing your engineers and staff and manufacturing folks to focus entirely on electric vehicles. Yeah, I, I do think this, uh, almost brush with death that VW is having with diesels uh, will pro provoke a real, legitimate, uh, authentic uh, pro-electric vehicle response because that is really their only choice to recover from this kind of a setback. It's a bit like how when Toyota had their acceleration scare in 2008, and I, I say scare because it doesn't look like um, they were, like it doesn't look like any any law courts uh uh, assessed uh, criminal liability or something. It, there was a, a lot of accusation that people were hitting the wrong pedal, for example. But after Toyota had that scare, then they said, okay, well, we're going to put our new safety system in every vehicle from the top of the line to the bottom of the line just to make sure people know that, uh, you know, we authentic or to, to try to convince people that we authentically care for their safety. And, and I'm sure at all companies, uh, there are many very, uh, um, uh, you know, ethical and upright and conscientious people. Uh, at the same, so with this, with this uh, noise coming out from uh, from uh, VW about their electric vehicle plans, I do believe it. Uh, the proof is in the pudding. You know, the proof comes when uh, you see what product offerings they come out with. Uh, so, unfortunately, unlike say the smartphone world or the computer world, we will have to wait a few years to really uh, be able to measure the uh whether this is a case of greenwashing or a a changeover to a new leaf haha uh but uh, we'll uh, we'll just have to have to wait and see because of the timelines that the automotive industry does uh simply uh incur yeah and, I, and maybe i should clarify i'm, I'm actually not saying that that much as miller should be thrown out or anything like that but but maybe just to moderate his uh his uh you know two steps forward one step backward kind of uh kind of philosophy because it's true you, volkswagen engineers are great you talk to them they're fantastic people you know pretty much like gm guys too also but they're really good engineers they know what they're doing they're very smart about their doing and then one thing we always forget is that Germany for the past 20, 30 years has concentrated heavily on diesel. They've spent pretty much all of their money on, on diesel. In fact, you know what? I, here's a little interesting tidbit. You know, old uh, diesel cars in the 70s, you had to press the, uh, the starter and it would heat up the whole system and then you would start your car. So the fast start for diesel came from, guess who? Alfa Romeo. So for, for many years in the 80s, um, Germans kept on buying Fiat a lot of Fiat IPs just to uh, work on uh, on diesel, like like you know the, the the same ramp for injection and things like that. So they poured billions and billions every year into it, and it's really horrible when you think about it. All of a sudden, nobody wants it. 
there's the scandal, there's the pollution thingy, there's this and that, despite talking about clean diesel and all of that, you know, strange oxymorons. So I think, I think at this stage, and that's just my personal point of view, of course, I don't, it doesn't reflect clean technica at all, but my personal view is, yeah, I mean, I, it's nice to hear what you want to do, and it's nice to hear what you're doing behind doors or, or in labs, but you also need to moderate it with, you know, actual things, you know, show us some prototypes, at least show us some concepts and, and that can go a heck of a long way. But so far I, I, I hear things like that, like what you just said, you know, there's no demand for EVs in Germany, which is not true. Absolutely not true. So Volkswagen needs to really start walking a very fine line. And, and, um, and also there's that, I think there's always that disconnect between, you know, the, 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 the decision makers at the top and the engineers and so, again, will we see uh, more of, more integration between both of them? And then lastly, very lastly, I think that, yes, indeed, Volkswagen has good products and Volkswagen will give us good products. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but that transition in the middle is always very tricky. And my worry, and that's my personal worry, is, you know, maybe a little bit too much talking is not the best thing to do at this stage. The right amount of, you know, back and forth would be great. Talk a little bit, show a little bit. And that's, for me, that's German mentality. That's the German pragmatism that I'd like to see coming back there. So so we'll see. We'll have to see. You know, it's only been a year he's been at the helm of uh, Volkswagen. He's only said two or three weird things, but uh, it's just not something that you you expect from Germans, I guess. Those are my filters. <laughs> Right. I, I guess I should note that uh, considering the number of weird things that I say, I, I'm pretty sure I, um, I exclude myself from any sort of CEO role uh, probably by January 2nd of any given year. Uh, <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, thanks again for joining us and uh, come back. Oh, we'll, we'll have uh, all the links in the show notes. So I'll type something up uh, that uh, expands on what we've been dis- discussing here and come back next week for your electric fix. Indeed. Have a wonderful week, everyone. And we look forward to uh, hearing your thoughts and suggestions if you have any. And uh, have a wonderful week.